Genesis chapter 6, I want to begin reading with verse number 1. There are passages of Scripture in the Bible that I love to read. And there are passages of Scripture in the Bible that troubles my heart when I read them. And this is one of those passages. Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the land in those days. Also after that, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bare children of them. And the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth. Behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And the Lord said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Will you look down please at verse 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. Look in chapter 7, begin reading with verse 9. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day were the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Turn over a little further, if you would please, to verse number 19 of chapter 7. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the water prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of the fowl and of the cattle and of beast. And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land, died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. 
Sometimes when we read these Bible accounts, we forget the fact that this is a historical story. We forget the fact that these were real people. God said, I will destroy man whom I've created and every living thing on this earth that breathes air will die. And the Bible says that it did just that. Everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. But it's hard for us to envision that. It's hard for us to see that. It's hard for us to grasp that. In the day that Noah was living, God said that every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. He said all flesh had corrupted its way. But I've got an idea if you could have lived in that day, and if you had lived in that day, you'd be much like you are now. You do not agree with that statement. Oh, you agree that there are people in this world who are wicked. You agree that there are people in this world who are corrupt. But no one would be willing to acknowledge the fact that every thought, every imagination of this generation we're living in is evil continually. People in that day thought they were all right. They were as good as everybody else. They were fine. I want to introduce you this morning to a man that several years ago I asked God to speak to my heart and just help me somehow to be able to explain to people what it must have been like in the flood. And that's what I intend to do this morning. I want to introduce you to a man by the name of John Smith. John Smith's a man just like most of the men in this congregation. He's a man who has a job. He's busy at that work and he works hard to provide for his family. He has a wife and a little girl. He has that busy schedule of work. He does the things he has to do with his family. He provides for his family. He's what we would call a moral man. He doesn't think much about God, has no interest in God. He knows about God. He had relatives and parents and grandparents who probably told him about God. And he really believes there's a God, but he has no time for God. He has no, no qualms about doing what he feels that he needs to do and what he ought to do. He's had an affair too. But oh, everybody else has. And it didn't really mean anything. He loves his wife and loves his children. That was just one of those things that happened. He's around people all the time that live like that. Oh, he drinks wine, but he's not a drunkard. It's his daily routine. He drinks wine, but he's not a drunkard. He's a good man. He's a moral man. On the particular morning that I want to introduce you to John Smith, he arises, gets ready to go to work. He comes by and greets his wife and kisses his wife and get a little girl. And he's running a little late. He has to leave out a little early. He tells his wife, I'll not take time to have breakfast this morning. I've got to go on to work. And he makes his journey on that way to work. He goes down the normal path that he would normally go and comes to the marketplace. Well, this particular morning, there's something a little different going on. In the marketplace, he hears a commotion. It sounds as if there's someone screaming or hollering at the top of his voice. In the book of Second Peter, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And for 120 years, he preached righteousness. He preached repentance. He preached getting right with God. He preached that God was going to judge the world. On this particular day, Noah happens to be on the streets of his marketplace. He listens to the man as he's approaching. And he hears him make statement. And he says this. God said, the end of all flesh has come before me. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'm going to open the fountains of the deep. And I'll destroy everything in whose nostrils is the breath of life. But God is a God of grace. And if you'd but repent and join me in the ark, you could be saved. He hears that thunderous voice. And strangely, something stirs inside of him. And he's drawn to where this sight is taking place. As he makes his way through the crowd to get to the forefront, he sees this man with fire in his eyes. And he's pleading with this crowd with tears in his eyes and begging them and pleading with them to repent and get right with God. He looks at him and his eyes fall on the man by the name of John Smith. And he said, sir, would you join me in the ark? 
The only hope of your existence, the only hope of you living is if you would join me in that ark. And for just a few moments, there's a quinge of conviction inside of this man. He remembers his granddaddy talking about God. He remembered that they told him God created everything. He remembered them telling him about a man by the name of Enoch who walked with God and he was not. For God took him and just miraculously disappeared. And nobody really knew whatever happened to him or where he went. He remembers all those things. And all those things come back. All those childhood stories about the Bible. Could it really be true? Is there a God? It Does God call men to repent? Is it important? Do I need to do something about it? What must I I do. I'm busy. I've got things to do. I don't have time for that. About that time, he looks and, and one of the men nearby says to, the, to this man, you're a fool. What are you doing? What are you saying? He said, God told me to say this, sir. He said, I've, I've come to give you the message that God's going to destroy this world. And he looks back at Smith and he said, will you please join me? Smith comes to his conscious mind and he says, I, I'm not going to join you. You're, you're nut. You're ridiculous. Why? I don't believe anything of what you're saying. And he pulls himself out of the crowd and makes his way. But undeterred from his mission, Noah keeps on preaching. He's not discouraged. He pleads harder and the more for people. John Smith makes his way away from that crowd and the voice of the preacher becomes lower and lower. He's in silence now walking on his way to work. And all those things are occurring in his mind. Please join me. It's your only hope. Please join me. It's your only hope. It's the only way you can live is to trust the word of God. He goes on. He goes through his normal routine that day. And when he comes in the house that afternoon, his wife is busy in the kitchen. He walks in, he sets his lunchbox down and he greets her with a kiss. And he sits in at the table and he says, honey, I had the strangest experience today. And he said, what happened to you? She said, he said, well, as I was going through the marketplace, I heard this old man preaching. She said, Noah. And he said, what do you mean, Noah? Oh, I've heard a lot about him. That crazy man is building some big structure out John, in the forest. I've heard all about him. Well, how come I've never heard about him? Well, honey, you're just too busy. You hadn't had any interest in things like that. And I, I knew you didn't care anything about religion or nothing. I'd never bother to tell you. But I've heard a lot about him. All the women of the marketplace talk about him. And all the men make fun of him. The children think he's just a big joke. A little preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, what, 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 went, what went on? She, he said, you know what he said? He said God was going to destroy everything in whose nostrils breath of life. He said that God was going to open the windows of heaven, open the fountains of the deep, and everything in whose nostrils the breath of life would die. He's going to bring judgment on this world because we're sinners. Imagine that. Because, us being, because he thinks we're, 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 we're bad. Oh, she said, I don't, I don't understand all that. Oh, he said, but he said the water was going to flood everything and everything was going to die. She laughs and she said, oh, John, I guess he didn't know that you're a real good swimmer. He laughs himself. And about that time, a beautiful little girl comes up to his side, crawls up in his lap and looks up at his face, said, Daddy, tell me about God. Who is this God that's going to send rain? Who is this God that's going to judge sin? Who is this God that's going to destroy a body? He strokes her beautiful hair and he says, honey, don't you worry about that. The God that, that this is the real God is the God. See the flowers? God made those pretty flowers. And the birds, you see those birds? God made those pretty birds. God doesn't, God's not interested in, in judging people. God's, God's a good God. You're not a bad little girl. Daddy's not a bad man. Mommy's not a bad person. God's not going to destroy this world. That's just an old crazy preacher. And you don't have to pay any attention to what the preacher says. Oh, daddy, you're such a good daddy. You always tell me the truth. You love me so much. You don't want anything to upset me. He hugs her close to himself and says, honey, that's exactly right. You don't have a thing to worry about. That night after the wife's asleep and the little girl is safely tucked in her bed, John Smith cannot sleep. He wrestles back and forth. 
between heaven and hell. Is there a God in heaven? Does he judge sin? Does he demand that people repent? Is he going to judge this world? He gets up and goes from his bed and looks out in the window into a starlit night. But he sees clouds as they move back and forth. Could it be that there's a God in heaven? Could it be that he sees the hearts of men? Could it be that he has a point where he said, this is as far as I'm going and the end of all flesh has come before me? Could it be reality? His heart once again begins to be heavy. And he recalls the words of a mother or a grandmother about God and about the grace of God and the need to live right and holy before God. Before he gets too deeply immersed in conviction, he turns to the wine that he has sitting on a table there and he begins to drink the wine. He sits and watches the stars and the clouds go by. And after several times of drinking the wine, his body begins to relax. He begins not being a conviction anymore. And so it is today that men and women find some way to get out from under the conviction of God. They'll nullify the convicting power of the word of God by making fun of the preacher, dismissing it. They'll find amusements and entertainments to dull their senses and not be confronted with the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell. But he goes to sleep that night with this thought in mind. Tomorrow, I'll see this man Noah again. In the morning, he awakes and comes down to where his wife's at preparing breakfast. He sits and has his breakfast. But as she prepares his meal for the day at work, he says, don't do that. I'm not going to go to work today. She said, why? He said, I must find Noah. I must find and know what's going on. She said, but you can't do that. You don't have time for that. We have bills to pay. We've got things. You don't have any time to try to find out the reality of God. You need to work. We've got things we've got to do. Honey, I can't, I can't rest. I couldn't sleep last night. I, I, just, I just want to go find out for myself. And he dismisses her, kisses her, and kisses the little girl and goes out the door. Steps out into a beautiful sunlit morning. The birds are singing. The flowers are beautiful. The clouds seem to have disappeared. Maybe I was wrong. As he makes his way down the street just a short way, there's a neighbor on the front porch. An old man that he's seen many times. He waved at him. He remembered this old man talked much about God and believed in God. His name is Methuselah. He waves at Methuselah and says, good morning to him and passes by. And he said, all these years that old man's believed in God. All this year he's done, he's walked with God and hadn't got him any, any further down the road than I am. He's a foolish man. But as he walks on in silence for a few minutes, he begins to think about that name Methuselah. After me, the judgment. After me, the deluge. Why would anybody name their boy Methuselah? Why would anybody say, after me, the, the deluge, after me, the judgment? And he goes on his way to find Noah and the ark. He makes his way on down and bypasses the, the village and goes out across the little mountains, the direction everybody said it was. Over a little ridge and down a little bottom and, creek, and a creek running gently by. And there's a path. And he, as he meets people going and coming, some are angry, some are laughing, some are crying. He meets one man and he says, that man is an idiot. It's not logical. It's never any water falling out of the sky. He says, water's going to fall out of the sky. He said, do you see any water up there? There's no water up there. Water's not going to fall out of the sky. That's not logical. I don't believe it. No way that could ever happen. John Smith goes on his way. He meets a teenager and the teenager's laughing. And he and a friend, and they said, he said, where have you been? He said, we've been down. Oh, Noah. 
making fun of him. We've been throwing rocks at him, laughing at him, making fun of him. We, we, he said that we need to repent. And he, he, they said, we got plenty of time. We don't have to repent. We don't have to get right with God. We've got plenty of time. He meets another man and his clothes and religious clothing of the day. And he says, what, what, what's going on? He said, that fanatic. He said, he's preaching a God of judgment, a God of wrath. That's not so. Our God is a God of tolerance. Our God's a God who, who wants people to be free. Our God's a God who wants people to do like they want to do. And he wants us just to be happy and be kind and be nice. He, he's preaching heresy. I'm going to see if there's something I can do about it. Just a short distance further, he sees a woman and she has her hands over her face and she's weeping and can barely see for tears coursing down her face. He stops and said, ma'am, are you all right? And she's just muttering something under her breath. And she said, how did he know? How did he know? How did he know? And he said, ma'am, what are you talking about? She said, that preacher said he was saying that God was going to judge because of sin. And he said, some have robbed and some have stealing and some have committed adultery. He said, she said, my husband doesn't know. My children don't know. My family, nobody knows. But that man seemed to know that I had been unfaithful, that I had committed adultery. It must be emotionalism. It must be just fear. And she goes on her way. John Smith ponders all that he's heard. Is there a God of judgment? Is it illogical? Is it just, just some kind of fanatical preaching this man's doing? Is it real? Down by the street, stream, up a little hill, and out through the forest and into a clearing. And he's awestruck by what he sees. He's expecting to see a little boat. But here's a massive structure, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. There's one huge door with a gangplank laid down. And there he recognizes the figure of a man named Noah. I gathered around that are hundreds of people and they're laughing and jeering and mocking. And Noah is still pleading and begging for people to join him in the ark. John Smith makes his way a little closer through the crowd. And as he steps out in the front line, immediately the man of God confronts him with his eyes. And he said, Smith, I remember you. Did you come to join me in the ark? And for just a moment, his heart begins to race and pound. He remembers the clouds that went by the night before. He remembers the convicting power of the Holy Ghost of God. He remembers the fact that he's heard his mother talk about God that judges sin and there must be repentance. But before he can speak, a friend across the way sees John Smith and he cries out and says, Hey, John, why don't you go on and get inside that boat? Everybody wonders what's in there. Go on, join him in the boat. He backs up and he laughs. And he said, Noah, why don't you quit this foolishness? This is ridiculous. You're scaring the children. Why don't you be quiet? John Smith backs up into the crowd. And he listens to him mock and laugh. But somehow or another he can't laugh. Somehow or another he can't mock. There's something burning inside of him that says there must be a God. Look at this. How could this old man do that? How could he know how to build this structure? Why did he build that? What's it all about? People laughing and mocking and he stands for a good long time and watches the scene. But all of a sudden, from the far end of the crowd, the laughing and the jeering begins to stop. And it's like a slow rolling wave as silence covers the whole crowd. He cranes his neck to look out down past the crowd and in the edge of the forest, he sees the most amazing thing. He sees animals, wild animals, 
carnivorous animals. And they begin to come. Every species, every kind, led by an unseen hand. There are no ropes on them. There are no chains on them. And the crowd just makes way. And they stand in awed silence and watches the progression of animals who make that way into the ark. After a while, the line has ceased. Birds have come down and gone in. Animals, four-footed and others, have come in. And now it's silent. The last plea of Noah. Please join us. This is the end. It's over. This is it. God's calling me to come in to the ark. I must go. He motions for his wife. She pulls away from her family and they try to restrain her. But she comes weeping to her husband's side. There his three boys and their wives leave their families. And they too come. The people are laughing. Some are crying. Why are they doing this? They watch them as they go up that gangplank into that ark. The last thing they see is Noah standing there with tears coursing down his cheek. And strangely, the door begins to close by itself. The Bible says that God closed the door. No one's laughing now. There's just silence. One by one, they begin to file away, pondering what must all this be. If I understand the Bible correctly, there's a time frame there after they went in the ark of seven days. For seven days, there's no rain. For seven days, there's no thunder. But for seven days, John Smith spends hell on earth. He can't sleep. He can't rest. What have I just seen? What's going on? Why is all this? He goes to the religious leaders of the day. They try to console him. Don't worry about it. You're a good man, John. You're a good citizen. You're a good husband. You're a good daddy. If anybody is right with God, you are. You, you don't have to repent. You don't have to believe in a God like that. You're a good man. Just do the best you can and you'll be all right. He leaves with all the wisdom of the religious day of that day, but he has no peace inside. He still can't sleep. He goes to all of what we would call the psychiatrist and, and they can't help him. He goes and gets herbs and medications to have him rest, but he still can't sleep. He drinks his wine, but he still can't sleep. And on the morning of the seventh day, he awakes with a start. Just all of a sudden he wakes up. It's deathly quiet. The sun should be up, he thought. And it's not. What is this strange feeling that I feel? What is this strangeness that's going on? John Smith gets up as quietly as he can to go to the door. But before he reaches the door, his wife said, honey, what's wrong? What's going on? Why, what, what's happened? He said, I don't know. Be quiet. He goes out the door and looks. There are no birds. There's no singing. The skies are boiling black. What's going on? Honey, what's wrong? I don't know. The little girl wakes up. She begins to cry. She doesn't know what's going on. But there's a fear that has gripped her heart. Something's happening. I know something happening. Mom and daddy, what's wrong? What's wrong? He comes back in and takes his wife, a little girl, puts him in the bed. Stay here. Don't you let her loose. Whatever you do, you hold on to our little girl. Don't you let her out of this house. I'll be right back. John, where are you going? I'm going to find Noah. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. He goes out of the house. People up and down the street are gazing. They're trying to figure out what's going on. There's no laughing. There's no mocking. Divine judgment hangs in the air. 
Just a few doors down, there's a crowd gathering there weeping. What's wrong, he says, Methuselah has just died suddenly, without any warning, no sickness, nothing. He just died. He left his body. He's dead. After me, the deluge. After me, the judgment. He said, oh my, what in the world? God, could it be? Could it be? Could it be? He bypasses the village over the little ridge down through the bottom. And there by that little peaceful creek over the next mountain. And there in that clearing, he sees a scene like he saw seven days ago. There stands a silent testimony to the reality of God's word. God said to Noah, you build me an ark. 450 feet wide, 45 feet long, 45 feet wide, and 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. You build it like I tell you to build it. I'll tell you how to do it. They wouldn't listen to the preacher. But no one's laughing this morning. There's a great crowd gathered, but nobody laughs. The atmosphere's too heavy. Death is hanging over the earth. Nobody mocks. John Smith stands there for a few moments in silence. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd, there's a cry. Oh, my God, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. And he sees the religious leader with his head buried in his hands. On the other side, he sees that woman who was caught in adultery. And she runs toward the ark, screaming and begins to beat on the ark. and said, let me in. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. Please let me in. John Smith, out of the goodness of his heart, reaches out as if to call her back or to help her. With his hands outstretched and palms toward heaven, he feels something on his hand. And on the ground, looks up and there are billions of crystal drops of water falling from the sky. Oh my God, he said, it's real. His heart begins to pound. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. He turns quickly. He doesn't care about that crowd. Doesn't care about the ark. He's thinking about his family now. He's thinking about his little girl now. And he runs. And he goes as fast as he can. But the water is falling from the sky so hard that he can hardly go against it. And all of a sudden there's an eruption as if an explosion. And the side of the mountain erupts. Trees and debris are cast hundreds of feet into the air. And water comes out of that mountain and floods and cascades down through the valley. That little stream that you saw a moment ago is now a raging torrent. And there's debris, there are animals, and there are human bodies. There's the body of that religious leader, and he's dead. There's the body of the teenager who had plenty of time, and he's dead. There's the body of the woman caught in adultery, and her body's crashing through the trees. But it's too late to pray now. Too late to pray. He remembers what Noah said, my spirit will not always strive with man, and that he's also flesh. Please join me, he said. Please join me. He said, the windows of heaven will open and the fountains of the deep will be opened. And he said, I'll judge all flesh and everything in whose nostrils the breath of life would die. Oh God, he said, I'm sorry. God, please save my wife. God, please save my children. By the time he reaches his, his village, by the time he reaches where his house is at, the water's a torrent. It's over waist deep. He can hardly fight it. Homes have been swept away. His neighbor's house is completely gone. His house, he sees that the doors are blown out of it. He comes and grabs hold of the post. At the, at the doorpost and leans into the house and in the center of the home is his wife in a raging torrent holding a center post of the house and she screams oh John she's gone she's gone she's gone our little girl is gone I tried to hold her but now she's gone with that the house collapses and his wife is swept out into eternity He's, he fights and struggles in that torrent it's an un- unwinnable situation He can't fight the war. He can't fight the wrath of God. He can't fight the truth of God. 
He tumbles and tumbles. Water struggles. He struggles to breathe, but it fills his lungs. In a matter of moments, he's dead. He's just a piece of debris carried along in a torrent with the rest of the animals and the human beings that God said, I'll destroy everything in whose nostrils the breath of life. The sad thing about this story is that is this. That's not the end of the story. That's the drowning of John Smith. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 29. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after this the judgment. Luke 16 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said father Abraham have mercy upon me. And send Lazarus that he might dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm tormented in this flame. A matter of seconds after John Smith has died in the flood. He's plunged for eternity in a place called hell. And he's still there. Now he'd give everything that he's ever had for one drop of water. There's no rest for him day nor night. He's tormented forever and ever and ever. Along with all those in that age who believe not the word of God. Nor repented. Matthew 24 verse 37. We're living in 2004. But. As in the days of Noah were. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days that were before the flood. They were eating. And drinking. And marrying. And giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not. Until the flood came. And took them all away so shall also the coming of the son of man be second peter chapter 3 verses 6 and 7 whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved under fire against that day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 11. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Second Thessalonians chapter one and verses seven through nine. And to you that are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Would you bow your heads, please? I have read to you this morning, not a Bible story, but history. What I recounted to you in word form is just a picture that I had in my mind and heart. I cannot describe to you the horror of those days to where God destroyed everything in whose nostrils is the breath of life. But the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus Christ offers to you salvation full and free. But many of you are preoccupied with everything in the world. But God, can I tell you it's coming quickly. Just a few years back, on a September morning, 
9-11. Brother Bobby Langdon and I were on our way to Burlington to pick up tapes for the Highway Shepherd. Everything was fine. It was a beautiful morning. And all of a sudden, the phone rang in the car, and it was Lee. And she said to Bobby, a plane has run into the, one of the Twin Towers. And there's been a horrible accident. In just a few moments, we heard another one had hit. Bobby looked at me immediately, and he said this, that's no accident. Our world changed that day. But can I say to you, as horrific as that day was, and the several thousand people who died in a matter of moments. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. My dear friend, you have a wonderful opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He loves you, and Christians are kind to you. Church members are kind to you. This community is kind to you. But I would warn you, please do not take the humility and the kindness and the forbearance of God as the fact that God will not judge your sin. He will. You may die before Jesus comes to rapture the church and this world's plunged in the great tribulation. If you do, the Bible said it's appointed a man wants to die and after that the judgment. Teenager young person, senior citizen, whoever you are, you'll have to face God one of these days. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, he'll save you. This morning, he'll give you everlasting life. This morning, you can go to heaven. But I could not tell you if you can be saved this afternoon or not. I could not tell you you could be saved on Monday or Tuesday. I don't know when you're going to die. I don't know when Jesus is coming. And the only thing I can go by is the Bible. Here's what it says. It says today is the day of salvation. Today.